The Debatable Podcast is available at debatablepodcast.tumblr.com and iTunes. On Twitter, we are DebatablePod, and I am Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S. I also have another podcast called All the Pieces Matter that I co-host with Fernando Madrigal. All the Pieces Matter is a retrospective podcast on HBO's The Wire. We are located on iTunes as well and wirepod.tumblr.com. On Twitter, we are wire underscore podcast and both the debatable podcast and all the pieces matter are available on actionagogo.com. So go check out those sites, give us feedback, send us questions and comments, and enjoy today's show. Don't worry, this is a little bit of an interruption in my currently running series of my favorite films so that I can bring you a special interview with none other than... Independent filmmaker and often controversial figure Uwe Boll is on today's program. We talk about his career, his filmmaking, his politics, and particularly the Kickstarter campaign that he has running right now for Rampage 3, No Mercy. Uh, Rampage 3 is the third in a trilogy uh, that started with 2009's Rampage, one of those fantastic movies that I think a lot of people sleep on. Um, Rampage 1 and 2, uh, the second one called Capital Punishment, um, are, are two of my favorite Bowl movies. And, and Uwe Bowl, he has this this controversy, uh, not just about the content that he puts out there, but a lot of people sleep on him because he's got these, uh, I think, misappropriated labels. Um, a lot of critics just have it out for him. And i um, sure he's made some, some movies just for the buck, um, um, and he did a, a string of video game movies that some people don't really enjoy. But um, Rampage 1 and 2 and and what hopes to be shaping up to be a, a really good movie in uh, Rampage 3 um, really are politically laden and, and socially conscious movies. They're not just um, controversially violent films. They're fantastic. They really do have that... that element of entertainment value in there with uh, with the kind of um, uh, ultra-violence that uh, Bull has come to be known for. But um, they do have this agenda in there that I, I really think uh, transcends uh, the usual uh, type of movies that you expect from Bull and from independent filmmakers on a whole. So uh, yeah, the uh, link to the Kickstarter is in the show notes, and I urge you to go over there, support this movie. I really want to see this third film come to fruition and uh really he's he's bringing he's bringing this together uh raising this money so that they can have a big action-packed blowout finale for uh rampage three and uh you know if if that's all you need if you need to to uh to to guarantee that your money is going to be put to the right use it's a big action sequence i know a lot of my listeners will uh will enjoy that so yes um go over there look at the uh kickstarter see what you can do if you can give them a little cash you know help out because it's going to be a great movie anyway today Uwe Boll, I hope you enjoy this this special episode. I think he's uh, I think it's a great talk.
Dr. Bo, how are you, sir? Good, good. I am a big fan. Thank you so much for making the time. No, thanks for doing it. Absolutely. My uh, my friend and I, uh, going back to high school, we used to have these Uwe uh, Bowls, B-O-W-L, and we'd just be viewing parties where we would watch your movies. <laughs> I wanted to kind of, I don't know if you know the background of the show. The show is kind of like talking about people's obsessions and passions. And when we talk to filmmakers and writers, kind of interested in, in that origin story. So before we get into Rampage 3 and the Kickstarter, is it okay if I kind of talk about uh, what influenced you to become a filmmaker and all that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. what, what, do you remember, can you pinpoint the things that kind of got you interested in filmmaking and being a director? Yeah, you're taping already? So yeah, it's already uh, good. Okay, go. but I, so, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, we had a small movie theater in my hometown, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I was allowed to go in the Sunday matinee like at 10 30 in the morning. When I was six, seven years old, my mother just let me go there. And so I watched a lot of classics like uh, uh, Ben Hur, Bridge of the River Kwai, stuff like this. And when I watched Mutinity of the Bounty, with Marlon Brando, I I felt like, okay, if I make movies, I will have all that adventures. I will be uh, on a boat, I will be a pirate, I will be, you know, like uh, you were thinking everything is real, basically. So I told my mother, I really want to make movies. And uh, of course, she didn't take it serious. And then I uh, tried to get a video camera or a super 8mm camera. You know, and then I started making ma- making short movies. And in in the when I went to the gymnasium, uh, so I was ten years old. I met Frank Lustig, uh, who wanted to do the same. And it's always good to have another person with you who pushes you forward. Right. Right. You know, to say, look, let's do this together. Let's make this short movie or whatever. You know. Yes. No. That's that's awesome because I, I guess that's the the great idea of um, doing instead of just talking about it. You know that you learned it by doing it. That's really great. And you had someone there to encourage you and support you too. So yeah. you really got you know formal training, not just from the movies that you were kind of falling in love with, but actually going out and making these short films, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is how you first learn basics. Like, okay, what I'm filming, how I want to tell, how I want to tell my. I had like that gy- big gym action figures, and we had like model ships and stuff like this. And then we 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 did a lot of things like we just blowed things up That's and crazy. burned them or something. So it's kind of strange, but uh, that was like the first stuff we shot. That's it was like not humans. Basically, it was only like. Uh, toys burning into the ground. That's awesome. Um, in that in that idea, with that kind of spirit that you had, do you do you consider everything that you've done in a way to be an independent film? Um, not just the idea of raising the money by you and your producers, but like the aesthetic, the the spirit of it being that you're 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 making an independent film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, uh, I, I never was attached uh, to a studio or agency or management company or stuff like this. Uh, you know, it's like, I mean, I had various movies that were distributed then in the end from 
uh, like 20th Century Fox or Universal or Lionsgate, uh, but they were not involved in the financing of the movie or the movie. Right. So I never worked with studio executives uh, on set or something telling me what I have to do. So, yeah. Is it important to you to kind of, I've heard you talk in interviews in the past, is it important to you to keep that kind of um, uh, uh, solidarity with your own group, with, uh, your your own uh, sort of independence in the idea that, that you're going to be tackling whatever you want and you don't want someone telling you what you can't put in the final cut, what kind of topics you can cover and all of that stuff, the taboos that you kind of explore in a lot of your films? Yeah, I mean, I'm always open for proposals. It's not that I'm like, I, uh, uh, whatever, right? So, but, but uh, of course, when it comes to more passion projects like Postal or Tunnel Rats, Saul on Wall Street, Rampage, Darfur, like this kind of movies where I was really into it, writing them, doing them, I would feel really bad if somebody else could change them. Right, right. I mean, it was for censorship reasons we had to change stuff from time to time in various countries because they were threatening us to put us in the uh, uh, index, basically, and stuff like this. So I'm, I'm open for this because I cannot afford to have zero income from Germany or something, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, but overall, uh, I was never going through this kind of situation where uh, somebody told me, like, no, we're not distributing it if you don't change it. You know, but there were, like, for example, when we delivered uh, in the name of the king to 20th Century Fox, my first cut was almost three hours long, mm-hmm. and they they said no, we need two hours. You know, that is the reason that is that in the name of the king, long director's cut, what came later, what is almost three hours, and then there is the two hours shorter version, and uh, um, because they said what well, we they cannot do anything with it if if it's three hours long. Right. What is bullshit, because they never had a problem or that nobody has a problem to release uh, Lord of the Rings what is then three and a half hours or something, you know, I saw that, that is the same, and they didn't saw, they saw this more as a uh, Jason Statham action movie, right. and they don't want to, uh, 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 they didn't want it to, to do it as an epic, basically. Right. right. You know, it's interesting to me that you're so often coming into to conflict with that, because it seems to me that, that so much of your your outlook is um you, you unlike a lot of independent filmmakers you really do have a good sense of of the business side of things you're very business minded and and i think i kind of in a weird way i kind of compare you to the way that really scott thinks because he's not always thinking about his uh, his film as an art form as a medium but he's also thinking about how is this going to be marketed how is this going to to make it out to to the audiences that i want to see it um, and he's willing to do a little bit of cutting here and there to make sure that at the end he, you know, people do get to see the uh, the uh, work that he intended. But I think a big part of what I started noticing in your films, especially how how the mainstream reacts to it, is this this dark, like satirical sense of humor. This this very pointed controversy that's uh, that runs through a lot of your movies. Um, is it part of your like sense of humor or of your personality when it comes to these movies to kind of get a reaction or a rise out of the audience? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm more like, uh, uh, as a person, I'm a cynical person. I have a lot of black humor, you right. know, like, right. uh, uh, so I, uh, <laughs> so there's a thing like, 
good friends know that I can go get if they let me do it. Like I, <laughs> I can get really dirty, right? So it's it's like uh, so I don't have a problem with like whatever Sarah Silverman's humor or something, you know, right. or. Uh, what you have with the um, Seth MacFarlane stuff like Ted or mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Family Guy I love that stuff or South Park uh, so that is the thing so and uh, with uh, movies also like Rampage or whatever I try to uh, uh, to push people to the edge or over the edge to make to make them think like what is the world we're living in and, and uh, to also uh, try to make them think about thinking about stuff from the other side, right. from the right. other perspective. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm bored about uh, just repeating other people's opinion or repeating what other filmmakers are doing. Right. That is the reason right. that uh, uh, my, a lot of my movies are kind of harsh or violent. or So that was the reason in Blood Rain, for example, why I did so much nudity and gore in it. Right. Right. I didn't want it another PG-13 female superhero movie. Right, 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 right. You know, when I when I keep uh, when I when I look at it, you know, I love that uh, that you said. I think on the Kickstarter, which we're about to get into, um, talking about how you know you've gotten to this point of uh, the video games were kind of uh, the video game movies that you made were kind of a means to an end for a lot of in a lot of ways because you were now making the type of film that you want to make. You you uh, your your producer um, uh, name checked Attack at, at, on Darfur and uh, the Assault on uh, Wall Street movies as well as the Rampage trilogy now. Um, do you have an idea of what you're defining as your type of film? Is it action movies with a political message? Is it a politically bent type of movie? What is it that that's your type of movie? I mean, it's definitely a genre uh, uh, movie, not necessarily only action, but, but I want to put political messages in entertaining movies in general. And when I had discussions about the Darfur movie, whatever, and then and then people said, "Why well, is that how like a thirty minutes long massacre, basically, right. like a right. big bloodbath?" And I said, "Yeah, but without that, there is no movie." Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like that is the thing. It's like it's doing rampage without the rampage. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, it makes only sense to tell a story if, at the same time, I I can sell it as a commercial movie uh, in in mostly uh, like in all the countries in the world. If you just right. make a drama about Wall Street or the bailouts, you will not sell that movie to Japan or Russia. Or, you know, like, like uh, I always uh, think about, uh, I'm always thinking about uh, uh, um, the basically uh, the audience everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and you maybe can get something going uh, in regards of, uh, a drama in US, it can sell maybe to UK, it can maybe sell to uh, Germany. Uh, but A, in a drama, you need absolutely A list actors. Right. You know, right. and if you see, like, I work a lot with B list actors, Dominic Purcell, Ray Liotta, whatever, they were they're all good actors, but they are not uh, Matthew McConaughey. Right. You know, like, that is the thing. It's like A list is A list, and that means the people that sit at the Oscars, Ben Affleck, and so on. And I'm not getting that people, not with the money I have, not not with the budgets I have. Right. So right. I do. I think I do very effective movies with B-list actors. But I, but but so I need to deliver something what is still entertaining and what some other territories can sell as action movies. Right. Right. And you're also kind of uh, uh, getting around 
the idea of of heavy dialogue too in some of these instances, right? Because you're dealing with language barriers, right? Absolutely, and and uh, that is the thing. It's it's if you have like endless discussions uh, uh, in movies, it's it's also creating in a lot of territories just problems. They they are not interested in it, right. you know. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Cassian, and, and obviously a lot of people who, who know your work, you've worked with Ben Kingsley and Jason Statham and Ray Liotta and Ron Perlman, but a lot of other great uh, character actors, like you said, Purcell, and uh, now with these movies, Brendan Fletcher. Um, I was kind of interested, you know, since we were talking about the business side of being a director, is is the casting part of it, uh, you know, is it is it really interested for you, is it really a point for you to get, you know, butts in seats to make sure that you have... Uh, money coming back to fulfill that budget and the people that that uh, um, fund you, or is it also like like how much of your casting decisions are the artist in you when it comes to to fronting a movie? No, I think it, it has to both work. You know, you cannot just. I mean, in Rampage, I did it. In Rampage, I don't have any real names, right? Uh, but Brandon Fletcher is the perfect actor to play that guy. And and so he carries the movie, and and for me he uh, uh, he should have have a way bigger uh, 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 name as he has mm-hmm. right now. I, I'm very happy that he just uh, is in the new Leonardo DiCaprio movie uh, from Ina Ritu, what will bring him a lot of press when the movie comes out. That Western what he shot, and um, so um, it's sometimes I just believe in people, hire them, and um, hopefully their name grows in any way, but it has to both make sense, right, you right. know, so uh, the, uh, the South on Wall Street, because I couldn't get one big name, I tried to put with Dominic Purcell, I put in Michael Paré, Clint Howard, Eric Roberts, uh, Edward Forlong, so we have like four or five names right. in it, right. uh, and, and so that is, of course, the producer in me, <laughs> who then makes that decision. What sticks out at you from from these type of character actors or what you call B level actors? Are are you looking for them to bring that personality, that specific unique charm that they have, or are you looking for them to surprise you? Like, is is it is there anything that you really look for? Like, for instance, with a Brendan Fletcher, what what draws you to working with him? I mean, Brendan uh, uh, really gets uh, this this kind of. Uh, uh, Let's say he, he slips in that character uh-huh. uh, of Bill Williamson, and he's he's just perfect in it. Most of the name actors they just prepare and do a routine job. Right. You know, they're not like uh, it, I have the feeling a lot of that that people they went they were A class like Ray Liotta, or Kristen Slater, or whatever. Sure. Uh, if, if they go a little downhill, uh, uh, they just deliver. You know, they're not like. Uh, any more highly motivated. Right. Right. And it's too bad, you know? I mean, I love Christian Slater, and I think a lot of that B-list actors, what I just said, they have the ability to be A-list. They have the ability to be a big star, but at one point, they uh, did too many shitty movies, they did the wrong choices, they took drugs or whatever, and now they are cheaper right. as Keanu Reeves. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, if you ask me, I think Christian Slater overall is a better actor as Keanu Reeves uh, or Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. He has a bigger range. He can do everything from comedy to action to drama. He can play an attorney. Johnny Depp could never play, uh, play an attorney <laughs> in, a, in a law firm, TV show, whatever. You know, like, I mean, that is the thing. It's like, um, 
sometimes is that is the way it goes. Uh, but the market is hard. Yeah. You know, it's That's like the buyers nice. worldwide. They know exactly what has a what has a value and what not. Absolutely. Um, let's get into it and talk about Rampage Three: No Mercy, which is the film you're uh, com- you're getting close to completing now. You're working on now. And no, no, we are shooting. We will shoot in January next year. Nice, nice. Uh, uh, we have to do the same like what we did with Rampage Two. We're shooting it in January because then uh, nobody is in January actually in the beginning of January directly shooting something. So you have a light a window where you get a lot of equipment and crew. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because they go all on the Christmas holidays and, and nobody starts filming again before like January 20. Oh, and uh, you know, they're coming all back around January 10, then they prep 10 days or 15 days and they start shooting. And what we did with Rampage 2 is we prepped before Christmas, we closed down then. And then we, right in the new year, uh, like I think uh, 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 January 3 or 4, we, we started shooting. And we want to, and then also Brandon Fletcher has a window. He's right now on an HBO show for the rest of the year, and then there he has a window. He can do it, and we want to use that. That's awesome. How 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 long do the or the you know the previous two movies and this one? How long are you talking about shooting? Oh, I mean the first Rampage uh, that was uh, five six years ago, where we still had enough money. Also, you know there was like still video rentals existing and stuff like this. So you could raise a easier money to make a action movie with B-list cast or with no cast. Now and then on Rampage Two, I had to shoot it basically within ten days. Yeah, so very quick with a lot with not a lot of money. That is the reason we 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 nailed it down to a TV station. He takes a hostage, hostage whatever. (laughs) And now with the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, uh, um, I I'm out there to basically raise a little additional money for Rampage. Three, because we want to go out with the big bang, right? So we want to go out with big action scenes. Right. So you're raising 50,000 euros, right, for the final action sequence. Um, why did you go to Kickstarter? I'm interested in just this. I mean, you're usually, uh, you know, talk about how you, you're an independent producer. You're, you, you, with your producers, you go and, and fund it. But this is a new foray for you. So why, why go to Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, uh, I, I, I got approached actually because Kickstarter opened in Germany, new. And they said if we do the campaign, they will, they will like uh, push us. They will help us, nice. right? Nice. So, and, and, and the, but the reality is, they opened up and they didn't do anything. Just open up in Germany, and now we raised the money in euro and not in dollars. So, <laughs> right. And I was still thinking about like, okay, where is now your real advertising push? Like where you draw audience on the uh, on the website? But I don't see that right now. Sure. Yeah, so, there's a lot of boots on the ground. You guys have to do a, a lot of it. You, I imagine yourself. To kind of get the word out there and and kind of it's it's so weird that that at this point that that uh, for this movie at least that it feels like uh, you have to you know cast a wide net. Um, you you really talk about how how this movie's and basically the making of movies in general was so impacted by the the death of mediums, the de- the death of avenues of where to go and. Um, you really kind of have been outspoken about how piracy has uh, affected that, right? Um, especially for Rampage 3, do you think uh, getting the funding, getting everything together was was negatively affected by the piracy of the, the first two movies? Absolutely. I, I was today at the fanfare convention here in Vancouver, 
and we had a one-hour discussion about it. And I said also, like, the, the, the bad thing is the kind of movies I do are uh, heavily made for the people that illegal download stuff. Right. You know, it's, like, exactly what I want to see. I don't think that Dallas Buyers Club uh, will be... <laughs> I mean, that is the thing. We maybe not heavily pirated, but, but a movie like Blood Rain, definitely, uh, yeah. and a movie like Rampage 2. And, and that is the thing where, uh, where it's a little problematic, you know? So where, uh, in, in a way, the people want to support uh, us or want to support a movie, but then they're totally, like, backstabbing me mm-hmm. in watching, watching it for free. And then at the same time, you have, of course, uh, uh, the other problem... Uh, um, in regards of uh, uh, the, the situation with with uh, like Netflix and so on, they just don't pay a lot of money. Right. You right. know, like like in earlier years in Blockbuster and so on, you could easier uh, make real money out of something, and and now it's uh, it's just not not really existing anymore. You know, right. like like that is a is a big big problem. Yeah, it's uh, you know because Blockbuster used to like, like uh, pre-buy, right? They used to pre-buy a number of units for their stores. Yeah, exactly. And you got real money for it, you know. And now, like, uh, whatever, like a Netflix. I mean, I watch Netflix also all the time, right? So, but but the reality is, they pay you uh, fifty, sixty thousand for a movie for a year for US, and that is not really uh, big. Interesting. <laughs> Do you um, do you feel like the the medium is changing too? I mean, you're not going to be able to do just home video anymore. Do you feel like you you have to focus more on on streaming and, and iTunes and digital content at this point? Of course, yeah. but also like Google Drive and all that stuff. They also don't really pay you. You know, it's right. just uh, shockingly low what they what they offer. So, you know, considering, you know, I've known several big filmmakers, you know, finally giving Kickstarter a chance and it's really a good way to to focus on fans, especially when you have your 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 uh, fan base come out and, and help you get the movie that they want to see anyway, uh, get it made. Um, are, do you know exactly what uh, what kind of uh, um, prizes you're promising the fans on the Kickstarter page? Yes, I mean, we have, of course, all the obvious stuff, like signed DVDs and Blu-rays and the, uh, the box, like the all three movies together, posters, stuff all signed by me. But we have also, I think, some great perks where uh, you get named as an executive producer, you get named in the end credits, you can be here in Vancouver, be an extra, uh, you get shot, you can keep your police uniform, your bloody police <laughs> uniform, you know, like stuff like this, what costs, of course, then a few thousand bucks. But it brings you also on set. Uh, I will have, uh, and Brandon, we will, we'll have all dinner together, stuff like this. Uh, so to go on Kickstarter and put in Rampage No Mercy makes sense because there is a lot of interesting stuff what you normally maybe don't get if you uh, go to a movie or uh, go on a Kickstarter thing. And, uh, and the other stuff is basically you pre-buy stuff what you bu- would buy later in the store but this time you get it in a way discounted or you get it also with an autograph and signature right signature. i also so, noticed, we, i also noticed you have the suit on there too yeah the suit exactly so you can get the suit what 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 is uh, uh of course 
an amazing price. Um, we have two suits in total. One, one uh, uh, you have to need always one in reserve, right? And after Rampage 3, we definitely don't need it anymore. So we, we, we will give it out. That's amazing. How was that developed when you when you thought about it? Because I mean, this this whole idea kind of came together in your own mind. Did you think you know a, a suit of Kevlar armor or a suit of some sort of armor needs to look like a SWAT yeah, team member? Absolutely. I wanted that he sees he looks like uh, uh, he looks like uh, Robocop in a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was it was it thought of to be a trilogy uh, when you first thought of the idea for Rampage? No, it was. Uh, I thought the first one. I just want to do a movie what has a lot of twists and surprising changes, like where you really don't know how that movie ends. Right, and I right. wanted to do it ruthless and 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 cynical and uh, uh, showing a nihilistic point of view about the world. Right. So we like we all go under. So who cares? Uh, uh, you know. And and I think that was very interesting. And then. A few years later, after, I mean, I got very good reviews for Rampage and the sales were good. So I felt like I talked to Brandon Fletcher. I said, like, why not doing Rampage 2, finding out what would actually happen with him? I mean, in the end, he has the money and he runs away from his home. But what would actually happen to him? And so, uh, uh, and, and so that brought the idea of Rampage 2. Uh, years later, I felt like I was very disappointed with the whole Obama situation and what happens on the planet, basically. And I asked myself, what would Bill Williamson do about it? Like, what would Bill Williamson do? Right. Uh, and, 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 and actually, what, what, he, what is his, uh, what he actually did after the first uh, part, right? So, and then uh, I ran some ideas, I talked to Brandon Fletcher, and, and uh, he was excited to do it. So we felt, okay, let's do Rampage 2. Uh, we have less time, less money, but let's make it very effective and and uh, uh, and grab the audience. And and I think it totally worked. And uh, during we did it, we both felt. I mean, I felt more as Brandon, but I I really felt I want to finish that story. I want to. I think Bill Williamson needs a a big bang ending, and that made me uh, basically thinking about okay, let's do Rampage three. I wanted to do it right away. I wrote the story already. And uh, but then Brandon was booked seven months on that DiCaprio movie, and now he's booked six or seven months on the HBO show Lewis and Clark. Right. So uh, I have to wait for him. Without him, I just cannot do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do like the idea of the politics um, in the Rampage trilogy. Um, they do change uh, a little bit. They get a little more fervent. He becomes a little bit of a full-on believer in the second one. In the first one, I mean, uh, Bill Williamson, uh, his uh, Brennan Fletcher's character, uh, kind of using his friend's politics as a cover for this uh, real bank robbery, uh, so that the media have like a, a scapegoat for the, the the horrible event, and that he could get away with the money. And and in a weird way, it's 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 a psychopathic thing. But in the the second one, uh, you know, it, it makes me think that you know that that believer part of it, the ideology of it, um, that he he bought into it quite a bit. Um, you talk about him stewing on it in the time between the first and the second one that he stewed on this and thought about it. Uh, you know, since coming from a writer's standpoint, is this your is this your Travis Bickle? Is this someone who's deeply troubled and and should be stopped, or is this someone that you're kind of using as as the uh, the purveyor of your own like rage about the hypocrisy of? 
democratic capitalism or the institutions we uphold or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you're right. It's like in the first one, he is just a nihilist, like somebody who says we are all fucked, we all go under, so if you die a little earlier, who cares? And then he shoots you, basically. Right? So he has no... uh, he doesn't think law and order matters or whatever, right? So he, and in the second one, he's more like an aggressive, uh, uh, yeah, a guy who, who would could part, could be part of Occupy Wall Street and stuff like this, uh, because he really dived into the the individual subject matters, and of course, everything what he says in part two uh, in his speech is my opinion. So uh, you know, I would I would sign every word of it, and uh, the the absurd thing is that here's somebody who's a nihilist who wants to kill everybody or who kills everybody, and he's a mass murderer, but he is also dead on when it comes to that political message. Mm-hmm. He totally put the finger in the wound and presses it and brings the absurd situation out of everybody that we're living in a world, we're, we're basically existing because we deny reality 24-7. Sure. You know? And that is, for example, let's say you don't believe in global warming. You don't believe that the, the ocean's going 20 feet up in the next 25 years and Miami Beach and everything gets flooded. Right. Then I would say, okay, you are just a denier of facts and you're a completely idiot. But do the other side. The other side is, I totally believe in it will happen and the poles are melting, but I cannot do anything about it. Right. And so I have to deny the facts, basically, to get through my daily life. Right. Otherwise, Otherwise you'll be, you'll be par- paralyzed with fear, right? Absolutely. Otherwise, you, I mean, we, we, if you put, uh, 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 I'm a big fan of that HBO show Vice, yeah. right, where they do like the, the uh, hello, you're still there? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay, good. Uh, you know, like in, in Vice, is also a thing on YouTube uh, stuff where basically 30 minutes per week, they show two things, 15 minutes each about something what travels the world. Right. So, and I mean, that is really like, if you see that show, if you see like 20 episodes in a row, you can basically shoot yourself because everything is a disaster. Yes. You know, yes. like you have like, the ocean will have no fish anymore in 30 years. All the poles are melting. You have uh, idiotic wars everywhere. You have uh, an uprising of uh, uh, like fundamentalist religious people everywhere. Uh, what is uh, uh, totally absurd. You have, you have the NSA spying on all of us, taping right now our Skype conference. Yeah. You have, yeah. like, you know, Brazil... Is going California has no water anymore, and then it, whatever, like whatever subject you you see, you think we are so fucked. It's like uh, uh, we all die. So uh, you know, and that is the thing. But what 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 do you want to do? Like the next day, whatever. I try to make another movie. I try, you know, like you go through the day, but because you have no other choice, you have two options. Like you totally drop out and you turn into a domestic terrorist, or you turn totally depressed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know. Or you just try on a daily routine to get through your days in a positive way and to uh, uh, to hopefully not do any harm to other people. So that that is the thing, and but that is very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, very frustrating. You know, yeah. when you come when you come at it from 
that point of view, it kind of clears up and, and makes kind of um, makes it clear that the idea of venting or exercising your demons with a movie where someone goes out on a killing spree, you know, mass murder. You know, I, I imagine that you, uh, I, I remember reading a lot of this, especially when Postal came out. I imagine the amount of critics that get on you about uh, Postal and Rampage being ultraviolent porn or video game wish fulfillment um, with the idea of going on these murder sprees. That the element that they're not taking from it is on one side your your um your sense of humor your your dark satire your you know your kind of uh, turning the uh, the camera on the world that you're that you're talking about but also on the other side of it uh that they're kind of uh, missing the point they're missing this venting they're missing this this ability to exercise your demons by putting this on screen instead of actually going out there and doing something horrible right yeah no absolutely that is the thing it's like uh, when people ask me, like, oh, you did so many movies where somebody runs amok or whatever or is doing something to other people, I, 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 I say also, like, okay, I would never do it in my real life, right? But I have, I would have sympathy for people like Dominic Purcell in a cell on Wall Street. You know, if you lose everything because bankers screw you over and then your wife is dead uh, and you lose your house and you have nothing left, uh, and other people ha- had only a one-year dent in the bonus they got. Uh, I mean, I totally understand. Would understand understand if somebody would go and shoot shoot the bankers. Right. You right. know. I mean, but what what the movie initially wants to do is it wants to make you think. It wants that the people think about it and maybe change the rules that stuff like this cannot happen anymore. Right. right. And that made me so upset about. Uh, uh, a movie, for example, like Wall Street 2, what is like, it doesn't even show the bankers as, as bad guys. And uh, they pick like one bad banker out and the rest are only positive and they want to work for a good environment or whatever, right? right. So, and, I, and that is the reason I wanted to do with the start of Wall Street. I wanted to do a movie what really clearly shows like, no, there, there, there was a system of greed on Wall Street where ten thousands of people were involved. And, and they all screwed over normal taxpayers uh, to get higher bonuses. Yeah. And in the end, when they tanked it all, they asked the taxpayers uh, for uh, the bailout. And I think it's absolutely, absolutely absurd that A, this happened, but B, also, that nothing really changed afterwards. Sure. sure. It was status quo. It went back to the same. <laughs> absolutely. So, and, and I mean... Um, that is the shocking thing, you know, like when I said that the thing what, what was on Vice about the ocean fish uh, a few times ago, a few weeks ago, uh, like, so if we keep fishing like this, especially also China and Japan, uh-huh. uh, th- there is no ocean fish left in 30 years. But if you would, like what they do in Louisiana, for example, and other states already, so they give a limit to the fishermen to uh, like to not outfish everything like that there's nothing left basically so you get the quota they say you can fish so much halibut you can fish so much salmon but not more and so with this the the fish is of course like like uh, uh, getting eggs out and and uh, there is new fish every year so it would be totally easy to keep the fish alive but we don't do it yeah 
that is the thing. Like, it just doesn't happen. And instead, they will fish it and fish it and fish it to get any sushi store delivered uh, fresh fish every day till there is no fish left. And then all the right. sushi stores will die. And, and that, that right. is the thing what I don't get. You know, that is what I don't get. It's like uh, uh, what is also pissing me off with the politics. It's like they're all fighting because they're all paid by lobbyists and they're fighting against each other instead of having common ground, mm -hmm. like, like common sense, where it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, where you just target a problem and you solve it. Right. Well, there's that stance that, you know, if you're if you're in this party or you're in this party, you have to toe that party line. You even if it's if it's the wrong thing, you still need to stick with your group. So kind of like, you know, crossing that aisle or uh, doing something for, for the betterment, kind of putting all um, po political stances and all of your your per per personal bullshit on on uh, on the uh, on the back burner so you can actually get something done. It just it seems kind of uh, futile, especially in the United States. But in an international sense, I mean, yeah, those are those are much bigger problems. And, and I feel like. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there are people that are both lazy about it and don't don't uh, do anything about it, uh, and and probably paralyzed with fear. Since we're talking about you know in 30 years that uh, all fish are going to be uh, gone from the oceans. I mean, the, what what is like the idea of what can I do? What can this singular person do? And they and they really they end up doing nothing about it because of that. Yeah, and that is what I mean. It's like you cannot be if you're not really a paid politic where. Like somebody just pays pays you to make your decisions. Let's say, uh, uh, from my feeling is eighty percent of the politics are kind of bought by a lobbyist group. Sure, so, you know, like, but that specific lobbyist group uh, is not infiltrating a lot of decisions you do because that that lobbyist group doesn't care about, right? right? For example, if the weapon industry bought you, that means not that you cannot be pro ocean fish right you know like so that, that, that is what i mean it's like so there are a lot of things we could uh, uh solve where if politics would work together with common sense and where their specific uh, lobbyist doesn't care about i don't i don't see any let's say negativity for the weapon industry if the fish survives. <laughs> right, right. You know, so that's the thing, you know, of the, if the NRA bought you or whatever, I don't think they care about the fish. And and that is the thing where, where I think that as a subject matters where common sense should, should like just make the right decisions. Right. Yeah, I, you know? I agree with you. And, you know, totally. And that is the thing what they don't do. They, they all vote then for everything what the other parties vote. Uh, what what the other politics vote for and uh, whatever you will have of course a few politics that are getting paid by the big fish industry uh, uh, you know but but they shouldn't drive the whole boat in a disaster right everybody else should say no 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 we want fish in the ocean period what we have to do we have here uh, 20 sci uh, uh, like scientists they tell us what to do that the fish survives and is not getting completely fished out. So, I mean, that, that is kind of simple. Why are you not running for politics somewhere? Tell me. No, because it's like, it's like, uh, it's, it's way too uh, uh, boring. And, and uh, <laughs> in Germany, I mean, it's in the U.S. the same. You have to go through the uh, 
uh, small town politics thing to get into the big town stuff, right? Right. And all the subject matters I'm interested in are more like national and global. Right. You know, I, I just don't care about a playground in the neighborhood. Right. I mean, I, I care about that there are playgrounds in the neighborhood, but I cannot imagine that I spend a week <laughs> talking and voting for should we, uh, you know, should we have that playground uh, removed, the sandbox or whatever, you know, like so I, I just cannot do it, and that is the reason I cannot be in politics in the, in a way uh, 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 with all that bullshit. I, if I go into politics, I really have to. To, 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 to be on the national level yeah. <laughs> by the way that will not happen because the parties that is the whole thing where that political party system sucks yes. you know first you have to be basically the ass kisser of everybody else in that specific party to get enough people pushing you forward yeah absolutely you have to you have to play their game in order to to get somewhere. You can't really you can't really be independently spirited. Like your your type of of filmmaking, the way that you have an outlook on things, your your opinions and everything that come through in your filmmaking, that doesn't translate to to politics because you would always be having, like you say, to please one person or please your party or please this lobby or whatever. So you really couldn't do your own thing. You couldn't keep your independent spirit. No, absolutely not. That is the same. What I what also like. I'm not. I have opinions where I'm extremely left. I'm ex- uh, and, and I have opinions where I'm extremely right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like like that. That is the thing. It's like when I, for example, the Darfur. But that was a genocide in Darfur when and when three hundred fifty thousand women and children getting raped and hacked in pieces. For me, that is the moment where the NATO should stop the genocide. Uh-huh. Yes. But, I, but I'm not I'm not pro Iraq war or something, right? I would not help the people fighting ISIS now because I think that they should figure it out on their own. Right. It's because in the end, whoever we support in the Middle East will hate us five years later. Right. So that is like proven, basically, right? So if, if uh, it's so absurd that Assad and, and the, the, the Syrian government were like the biggest crime people, and now we give them weapons to fight the ISIS a year later, right? The Iraqis or the Iranians, whatever, right? So, and I think they should figure it out on their own. They should kill. Each, they should kill each other, whatever they want. I don't care. But if there is a genocide. Where, where like visible civilists uh, and, and kids and so on getting killed, I think we have uh, also as a German with the history of the Holocaust, right? So I think we have a duty to stop the killing. Sure, absolutely. And that we never did it in Darfur. We skipped that and gave a shit about it. And still, the same president is running Darfur, who did all the, the massacres, uh, uh, and nothing happened to him. And, and other people we kill with drones, and why we cannot kill this guy with a drone. Right. One random guy in Pakistan on the street and, and kill 40 people around him because he was on a list of Al-Qaeda at one point, but a genocidal murder like President Bashar from Sudan where an international arrest warrant is on his head, and we do absolutely nothing. And with him, a drone is impossible. But he's like in speeches outside. So you know exactly where he is. You could easily find him and kill him, right? right? But nobody's doing it. And that shows how, how 
how big that lies are. When they when they said, oh, Afghanistan was good to go there because now the woman can vote in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. that is the biggest lie ever. You know, I mean, it just has nothing to do with why we went to Afghanistan. Right. That is to justify stuff with bullshit later. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that is like, I mean, like, who gives a shit about if the woman can vote in Afghanistan? You know why the woman can also not vote in Pakistan? Why we're not attacking Pakistan? I mean, you know, like it doesn't make any sense, and and that is that is the problem, and and uh, uh, that is where where I said like my political opinions are uh, just independent, and it's it's really like subject matter by subject matter where I decide what makes sense for me and what not, and I don't care what political party is supporting it. Well, you're extremely. Well thought out, and 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 obviously uh, your political stances, I mean, are your own. I think it's a perfect segue to to get back to talking about uh, Rampage Three because I think that where it's taking us is to to a political realm, right? You're going to to Capitol Hill, exactly. So when when he says in part two, like we have to rip Washington apart, now part three will try it. Or do it. That I don't say it now, but uh, you know, like so. Uh, uh, that is the thing, you know. So uh, I think it's very important to get that part three going. How do you how do you pitch this? Is there a is there an idea of what the story is going to be without giving away too much? Is there something that you can tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what I just said, right? So uh, he will attack the system, and and he maybe uh, what he hopes for is, of course, that he maybe created already kind of a support system for him. Right. You know, that more people actually, after he did the speech in TV in part two, are uh, willing to follow him. Gotcha. Are, are you a big fan of directing action? Absolutely. I love it. I mean, it's like, uh, uh, so, so nice it is to have good dialogue and stuff like this, but dialogue scenes are always like, you know, like you sit there and you see, okay, did I believe what he says? Right, right, right. Can he do the lines? Whatever, right? So, but action is a little more like uh, uh, involved as a filmmaker. You have to see, okay, how I make this now very efficient that we don't have to do the stunt five times and uh, all the explosion and stuff like this and that, that we get uh, the best footage possible in the can right away. What's your, what's your stance on... Uh CG blood versus blood squibs. Am I wrong that uh, that Rampage One had had full blood squibs, or or was it CG blood? No, it was all full on blood squibs, and it's of course it's harder to do, but it looks way better. Yeah, because yeah. At the time the bullet with the action with the falling down with the shooting, and in Rampage One there are a lot of wide shots, right, where you see him shooting and you see the people collapsing, and the blood squib goes. Right. So you basically have the stunt guy with the button in his hand running and falling and doing the blood script on his own as soon as he hears the gun shot. And then he has to fall. So he basically ejects his, the, the blood script on his own. Right. And that, that is very tough to do. But it's, uh, I'm very happy that uh, we have good stunt people, good special effects people. But I love it to do stuff what is a little more involved and what is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love to do this kind of action sequences where a lot of people are getting shot in one shot, yeah. where you don't have a lot of uh, cuts, you know. So, and uh, in uh, part two, we had uh, a mix between we had like dry scripts, but in the in the main room 
in the TV station uh, because it was actually a, a, a big office we rented. And they didn't allow us to do the blood uh, stuff because they otherwise it would not get out of the carpet. Ah, uh, gotcha. gotcha. You know, so they said, no, we, you need to, to do CGI uh, blood. So we did the holes. We did the bullet holes uh, practically, mm-hmm. but without, without that the blood flies out. And the blood we had to add later in. And I don't really like it. That is, it's, it's never felt really like there was an impact um, I'm not talking specifically about uh, about the second one, but whenever I see CG blood, I always feel I feel less than when it comes to that that bullet pack, that bullet hit that impact because like it's not there's not an actual uh, little explosive reaction to that. Exactly, yeah. and and I I like it also because also the reactions of the people that stand around are different if nothing actually happens. I mean, a lot of movies totally cheaping out. They don't even do the bullet holes. They do it all in CGI later. Right. And right. so, and I mean, that looks a lot of times completely ridiculous. Right. It right. looks like somebody's thrown like a red uh, a paint balloon on your shirt, but, but it totally looks, it comes from the outside to you and not from the inside out. Right. Um, <laughs> as a as a action director, when you're putting that cap on and you're getting ready to do it, are you a person that that you know finds it in the blocking on set, or do you do a lot of storyboarding and shot lists? How do you develop an action sequence? No, that is normally I do it with my DP. Normally it's Matthias Neumann, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sit down before, and we in a way I don't give out. Uh, uh, like storyboards or something uh, only for things where a lot of CGI is involved we do storyboards otherwise we just explain it but we scribble it for ourselves a little on a piece of paper to, to think about okay from, from where to where is that scene going and when we want to do what so uh, that we know better what's going on right is it really important to you um, or maybe this is a, a movie by movie, case by case situation. But is it important to you to kind of maintain things like geography in action sequence so that it's clear to the audience, or uh, should it be chaotic? Should it be where they don't know where a particular person is in relation to this other thing? Do you want to shock the audience? Do Do you have a a stance on either one of those? I mean, I like. I'm a very logic guy, so I hate it if things getting unlogical. You know, like when I'm, I'm always like in any action sequence, I look totally out for. Okay, if that guy runs this way, he cannot be now there, right? So something like this. So I always try to structure the action sequences like they make sense and they they they, they look like reality. Uh, at the same time, if you go out of order uh, with like jump cuts and so on you also can help chaotic scenes. You know, like if, if you have like 5,000 people fighting, like in, the, like in the name of the king had like big scenes where like hundreds of people were fighting. And so you have to like uh, get it down to individual groups fighting. And then you have the background, background just doing like they act like they're fighting because they're like blurred or something, right? So uh, stuff like this. You have to uh, uh, to stage separately, and you say, "Look at these two, these three guys doing a sword fight right now." And in the background, it's important to keep the continuity, but at the same time, you don't want uh, uh, to have everybody full on fighting if they're not really in the shot. Right. It's um, it's quite good. I I wonder like uh, how much of that. 
um, do these action scenes come together in the editing room? Do you know what you've shot before you get to editing, or do you play around with it in editing to t- try to make these sequences work? Yes, I have a good, like, it, it got better over the years, yeah, so now when I shoot something, I have it kind of saved in my brain, mm-hmm. you know, it's like kind of, look, I know what I have, and then uh, I give a little briefing to the editor, he puts a rough cut together, then I normally re- remember a few things he didn't put in, or I remember shots, I said, no, that shot is existing, go back in the material and check it out, and then, and then, uh, then I go in and we, 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 we go more into the details. Yeah. Well, um, Uwe, thank you so much for, for making the time. I really uh, wanted to tell you, you know, I, I think that Rampage 1 and 2 um, are two of my favorite movies of yours, uh, definitely two of uh, the best movies that you've made, in my opinion, and uh, I'm really looking forward to Rampage 3. So, uh, you know, if you want to plug anything uh, other than the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter will be in the uh, show notes for this podcast and I hope people really go out there and support it and, and raise funds for it. Cause I want to see the third one and I'm sure a lot of your fans do too. Yeah. Just send me the link. I will post it also everywhere and then we hope for the best. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much again. It's been very good. I love hearing people talk passionately about whatever <laughs> they believe in, whether it's politics or their filmmaking, their career, whatever. So thank you so much for making the time. Thank you. Bye. Have Bye. a good one. Can't you stand that?